you would be with us. We thank you so much for sending Jesus, the son of Adam, born of our flesh, and yet the son of heaven, once a babe in Bethlehem, now the Lord of history. We believe that, Father. And I pray that you would stir up our hearts with love with you, love for you today as we look at your word. I pray that you would silence any distractions that come into our minds and help us to focus on you. Be with the words I say. May they be true to your book. May, may we hear you today speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So if you've been coming to New Creation Church for a little while now, you know we've been in the book of Philippians, the letter that Paul wrote to a church 2,000 years ago in Philippi. We made it halfway through, and we're taking a break for Christmas. We're going to do a five-part series now on Jesus and what it means that God, the God of history, became a man and came to earth to save us. So we're going to be looking at what that means for the next five sermons. Five sermons. And the, the final one is going to be on Christmas Eve. I think that's a Tuesday night, 6 o'clock. And we're going to have a candlelight service here. It's in, in conjunction with Adam, Adamsville. And so that will be the final one in our series. Now, this series is called an Advent series. Have you ever heard the word Advent before? Advent? An Advent is the arrival of an important person. An Advent. Or the arrival of a, an important event. Like, you know, my kids look forward to the advent of Christmas every year, right? Uh, so we, we look forward to the arrival of something or someone very important. That's an advent. And for many, many years, churches have done this all over the world. They've celebrated advent. They've looked forward to the advent or the arrival of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and remembering specifically at this time of December his birth. So that's what we're going to be doing, Okay. We're going to look at the advent of Jesus' incarnation. The word incarnation is from the, the language, the Latin language. Carne means flesh, and it means the infleshing of God. God becoming flesh, man, like us. That's what incarnation means. So it's a word, it's not actually a word that's in the Bible, but the concept is all over the Bible, that God became a man to save us. Now, this morning, we're going to be looking in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. So the fourth book of the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles, um, the, I don't have the exact page number. I, I can find it real quick. The Pew Bible, that'll be on page number... 1645. 1645 is the Gospel of John. And we're going to be focused on chapter 1 this morning and a couple other spots in John. But we're not going to get there for a few minutes because I want to start us, you can put your finger there, and I just want to start us off at the beginning of the Bible's story where everything got started. The book of Genesis. You don't have to turn there. 
I'm just going to be summarizing. Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. In the beginning of the story of the Bible, the God of the Bible, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he created a world, a universe, actually. And in the beginning, the Father speaks words, and he uses, just like you and I, he uses breath to speak words. That's a picture, this is going to become a picture for us, of the mystery the Bible calls, or we call, we call the Trinity. One God, three persons. One God, three persons. Not three gods. The Bible says one God, and yet he's a father, a son, and a Holy Spirit. Okay? Now sometimes the Bible calls God the Father, God the Son, and, and the, the Holy Spirit. That, that's one image, like a divine family. A father and a son and a spirit of love between them. Love and joy and delight. A spirit that's so real, he's actually a, a third person. The Holy Spirit. That's one picture that the Bible gives us of this God, this triune or trinitarian God. Uh, but another picture is a picture that John is going to talk about in John's Gospel, chapter 1. And it's a picture of a talking God who, like you and I, talks words with breath. In the Bible, the word breath is the same word as the word spirit. And it's just a picture for us of the three-personed God. Genesis 1.1 gives John, who's writing many years later, this language that he uses. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How'd he do it? Well, we read how in the next verses. He does it by speaking, speaking words with breath. It says, and the spirit, the breath of God was hovering over the waters. And what's it doing? It's forming words. God said, let there be light. And there was light. What do we do with our words? Often we use them to accomplish things, right? You use your words and say, kids, Pick up your room, and if your kids obey your words, something gets done, right? Well, the speaking God, the talking God of the Bible, uses words to create universes, okay? He uses words to get things done, and the elements, matter, obeys him because he created it out of nothing. He speaks, and his breath goes forth. The spirit goes forth, and it forms, it fills words, and those words create reality. The speaking God. And this provides for us an image of the Trinity. Father, Son, Spirit, Speaker, Word, Breath. It's another picture of the triune God. And on the sixth day in the Bible story, this speaking God, this God that talks and creates universes, he speaks by his word, by his breath, and he creates something very special, a human. He creates Adam and later his wife Eve. He creates them in his image, which basically means these people are really special. Nothing else in creation is in the image of God. To be in his image basically means they are to show the world what God is like. They're to show the world what he's like, and 
They are to represent his rule over creation. God's the big king. He creates the universe. He rules it, but he does it through servants who are supposed to obey his word. Think about our kids. They like often to image us. They're in our image. When you have a son or a daughter, you might say, oh, he looks like me. He looks like you. A little bit. Sometimes it takes a lot of imagination. But... You know, you're looking at this little red-colored infant who just came out, and the, the doctor's like, oh, he's got your eyes. I'm like, I have no idea how you just said that. But we image our parents. And then as we grow a little older, we want to wear our parents' shoes. We want to dress up like our mom. We want to hold a baby like our mom. We want to hunt deer like our dad or whatever. We image those we love, and we were created to do that for God. We were created to image God's character, to reflect his love, his goodness, his beauty, his perfection. We were were made by God to reflect him and to represent his rule. But instead of listening and obeying God, our first parents, Adam and Eve, the Bible story says they rebelled against God. That's in chapter 3 of Genesis See, God has earthly sons that he creates in his image, Adam and Eve. He also has heavenly sons, the sons of God, the Bible calls them, angels, spiritual beings that also share the divine image. But they are, their job is to reflect God's beauty and God's glory and God's worth in the spiritual realm. The earthly sons are to reflect the worth of God in the earthly realm. The heavenly sons of God are to reflect his worth and rule for him in the heavenly realm. And yet, what we see in the beginning of the Bible story is there's treason in the heavenly realm. One of these heavenly sons of God, named Satan or the devil, he decides to come and turn the earthly sons against God. And he's turned heavenly sons, we find later, against their father as well. So he comes into the garden, this perfect world that God has made, and he sows seeds of rebellion into Adam and Eve's ears. He gets them to disobey the word that gave them life. God's word spoke universe into existence, and they broke the words that gave them life. If I climb a tree and climb out on a branch and it's supporting me, and then I cut it off, what happens? fall and maybe die right if you cut off if you break the words that gave you life you die that's why god says you break my words you will die if you break my words death will happen and not just death for you but you you separate yourself and all of humanity from god and so now all of us are born not wanting to follow God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. None of us are born wanting to love God with our everything. We're born broken, sinful. We're born rebels. We're not all as bad as we can be all the time, but all of us are fallen. That's the story of the Bible. But the Bible doesn't leave us there. That's Genesis 3. The rest of the Bible's story is how God promises to bring into the world a child, a son of Adam and Eve, a son of Eve, a son of the woman, who's going to be a second Adam, who's going to undo what the first Adam did. He's going to 
defeat Satan. He's going to be the snake crusher. Genesis 3.15 says there's going to be a son of the woman who's going to come and crush the head of the snake. But what happens if you stomp on a rattlesnake's head with a bare foot? Often the fangs will go into your foot and you will get venom in you and you will die. That's the, or with a rattlesnake, maybe get very sick. But the image in Genesis 3.15, it says, He will crush your head, but you, Satan, the serpent, will bruise him on the heel. That's the image there. There's a wounded victor, a victor who crushes the head of the snake, but not without dying himself. And the rest of the Bible fills that in and eventually gives us a name, Jesus, Son of Heaven, Son of Adam, who comes and crushes the head of the snake much more on that in the weeks to come. But for now, the reason I told this story is because I want to set us up with a problem. The problem of the world. In the Garden of Eden, what man does and what man still tries to do is be his own God. Adam and Eve basically say to God when they break God's words, hey, we get to call the shots, God. We don't like your rule, so we want to follow our own words. And the words of this new creature that we just met. This snake who's a son of heaven that's come down and tried to turn us against God. Well, we like his words. He's, he's, he sounds pretty good. He, we vote for him. You? You can take a back seat, God. Now, when we disobey someone... In that moment, we're saying we know better than them. When you disobey somebody. Now, it might not seem like a big deal when it's your boss at work or the game warden. But how about the God of the universe to say we know better than him? That's a big deal. And the penalty is separation from God. Separation from God forever and death. And the only way, like I said a minute ago, for us to be saved is for another Adam to come and do things over. We needed another son of God to be born, an earthly son who didn't disobey God. We needed him to obey God for us because we can't in our own strength. We also needed him to undo what the first Adam did. We needed him to not listen to the snake. Jesus didn't. We needed him to defeat death. Jesus rose. We needed him to image God perfectly for us. Jesus did. And we needed him to deal with our sins, to take the punishment for them so we don't have to die under the sin, the punishment that, that we deserve. And Jesus did that for us too on the cross. In Jesus, God becomes a man to save us. So let me summarize here in the words of a Bible scholar named John Stott. The, the essence of sin, the heart of what sin is, it's not just bad stuff you do. The heart of sin is man substituting himself for God. Move over. I want to call the shots. I want to be where you are, God. I want to be on that throne. I want to determine right and wrong for myself. That doesn't make sense. I read your word. doesn't make sense. I hear what you say, but nah, that doesn't match up with what I see. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make me happy my way. God, you get the highway. That's the essence of sin. Man substituting himself for God. The essence of the gospel 
The good news is God substituting himself for man. So in sin, we put ourselves where only God deserves to be. In the gospel, God comes off his throne and puts himself where we deserve to be, on the cross. He had to become a man to do this. And that sets up today's topic from Gospel of John. And we're going to look at three things today. The first point, Jesus became a man. The second point, Jesus remained God. In other words, when Jesus became a man, he didn't stop being equal with God the Father. He stayed God even while he became a man. And then third, we'll see that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And in the the third point, we're going to wrestle just a little bit with the fact that Jesus was one person when he walked the earth. One person, two natures, divine and human, and yet he's not schizophrenic. He doesn't switch back and forth on earth. Now he's in man mode. Now he's in God mode. And he's not like sitting there laying like, oh, you know, what do you say, God side of me? What, you know, earth side of me? No, he's, he's a one person, one person with two united natures, distinct, human and divine in one man. And it's a mystery. That hurts your head? Join the club. And yet it's what the Bible gives us as the only solution. God had to become a man to save us. So first, Jesus became a man. And now we get to John. So if you have your Bibles, you can look at John's gospel. And I'm just going to read verses 1 to 14. So if you don't have it open in front of you, just listen. In the beginning was the word. Remember this talking God in Genesis 1? John is reflecting on it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, through this Word, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What happens when you flick a lamp on in a room? Where does the darkness go? Gone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. In other words, he came to the Jewish nation, his people. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh. This is the key verse for today. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, remember what I said earlier about the Trinity and how they made the universe, Father, Son, and Spirit. God is described as a speaker, 
bringing light and life into darkness by his word and his spirit. Well, John is reading Genesis 1 here. And he's, he's going to introduce the spirit of God just a few verses later in Jesus' baptism. But right now, he shows up. He, he's introducing the word. Okay? The word. Jesus is called God's word. Just like your son, again, these are all pictures that the Bible gives us to help us understand what this God, this Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit is like. Just like your son comes out from your body, so your word comes out from your mouth, from you. Your word is from you. It's filled with you, in a sense. It, it, it represents you. And it's filled with your breath but it's distinct from you. Your word is like you, but it's distinct. It's a picture of something that is really hard to understand. Three persons, one God. The word was with God, and the word was God. John 1 verse 1. He was with God in the beginning, and God's word as he speaks, is so real and so alive and so powerful and so filled with his living spirit that the word stands forth as an actual person, a person called by the Bible the Son of God. And God created humans that could have sons and daughters to just give us pictures of what that's like. And he made us be able to speak words by breath so that we could have categories to just understand a little bit what he is like. Does that make sense? He came first being the way he is. And so he created human speakers so that we could understand a little bit of what he's like. And he created humans that could have kids so that we could understand a little bit of what he's like. Not fully. It's still a stretch for our minds. And yet we can understand that John is using one of those pictures. He says the word is with God. And that this word is God's beloved son. And he's known as Jesus. And he's coming into the world, bringing God's light into the darkness of sin. And he's going to reveal God to us. His word brings light in the beginning. God said, let there be light, Genesis 1-2, and there was light. So Jesus does it again when he comes into the world and says, you want to see what God is like? Look at me. I bring the light. I bring God's goodness. And how does he do it? Look down at John 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is the, the, the worth of something. A delicious meal has glory. The, the weight of it hits you, and it's amazing, right? We've seen the glory, the worth of Jesus the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, in verse 14, the Word of God, this spiritual being, who's always been, is called the one and only Son, or some translations say the only unique Son of God. The only unique son, which I think is actually the, the best way of translating it here. See, all the angels in heaven, and both rebellious and not rebellious, faithful angels, they're called the sons of God in the divine realm. And all the earthly 
creatures are called the sons of God. But there's only one unique son of God. The only unique son of God, Jesus. Jesus has always been. There's never a moment that Jesus was not in existence. To think that there was a time when this word of God didn't exist would be to say that there was a time when God the Father was mute and couldn't speak. He's always had a word, and so he's always had this being called the Son of God. The word that created the universe was Jesus. Paul can say in Colossians, by him all things were created. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or kingdoms, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus' word is underneath the natural laws that hold science together. Oh, we know how the world works. We have natural laws of science that we learn and we study. Well, guess what? His word created them. What is gravity? Why am I not just floating? Gravity is something created by God's word. Jesus' words determine the law of gravity. Jesus' words created earth with the perfect amount of mass so that we don't go floating off into outer space so that we stay here and we can actually live. All right? Kids and I have been learning that in astronomy. The word of God. And Jesus is God's word. And then in, Je in John 1, the word who made the universe who made the laws of nature and the laws of math and the laws of logic, the one who made it all. He speaks himself a body out of nothing. A body that starts as an embryo in the Virgin Mary's womb. Think about that. Mary had no husband, no relations with a man. And yet she got pregnant. In her words, how can this be? Good question, young lady. You know the laws of nature. You know this cannot just happen. And God gives her her answer. The Holy Spirit, the breath that formed the words that made creation, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And thus we see that a last Adam, another Adam, was born. He had come to rescue us from what the first Adam did in the beginning. The Word made flesh came and dwelt among us. And Jesus, the Word that God made, was just like Adam in a really important way. He was made in God's image. Okay, just remember Genesis, God makes man and woman in his image. Adam is, or Jesus is in the image of God. Colossians 1 verse 15 says, The Son is the in, in, in the image of the invisible God. So Adam was God's image, created to reflect God's character, represent God's word and God's rule, but he failed. Jesus is in God's image. Jesus did not fail. Again, he's an Adam do-over. 
When you look at Jesus, you're seeing God's character on display. As you read the Gospels for the first time, Jesus is saying with every word, every breath, every step, this is what God's like. This is how he lives. This is what he would do if he ruled this place. He'd kick the demons out. He'd raise the dead. He'd heal sickness. This is what it looks like when God is king. You pass the, you, you like Satan's words. Guess what? You want to see what it looks like when Satan rules? Look around you. Wars, sickness, death. But one day, Jesus gives us like a movie trailer of what it's going to be like when he comes back. That's what the Gospels are. A movie trailer. You want to see what new creation looks like? It looks like dead people being raised. It looks like lame people weeping up and walking. Okay, That's what the Gospels are. The, the Adam do-over. Jesus comes and he gives us a sneak peek of what it looks like. And Jesus does what Adam should have done. He always speaks the truth. He's never false. He's never selfish. He's filled with the Spirit of God. He's what all of us should be, but cannot be apart from the Holy Spirit working and making us like Jesus. More on that in days to come. But we had no hope of salvation coming to us from earth. God had to become a man to save us. He had to become a man because we were fallen. We always do what our father Adam did. Do you ever have a kid who you have to teach the, the word no to? No. We learn that on our own. We're born hating authority. And that's just a little picture of what we learn to do as we grow older. And yet God's word spoke himself into a human embryo. And he was born to live the life we could never live, to die the death that we should have died, and to win the victory over sin and death and Satan and hell that we could never have won. Only God could save us. And in Jesus, God did just that. John 1 verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the only unique Son, who is himself God, who's in closest relationship with the Father, that one has made him known. So you and I, we can't see God. But if we look at Jesus through the eyes of faith, as we read his words, and we look to him, and we learn about him, we see God. He reveals God to us. God doesn't leave us in the darkness about who he is. He sends us the light, and the light is Jesus. Then, in becoming a man, Jesus, this is moving towards the second point, Jesus did not cease to be God. That's so important. Paul writes in Colossians 1 verse 19, a letter to the Colossian church. He writes, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So all the fullness of God, Get this, all the vastness of what it means to be God, the universe creating God, the God who creates trillions and trillions of stars, that God becomes a human embryo. All the fullness of God dwells in him. That's like trying to put a hurricane in a bottle or all the oceans on earth into a cup. 
How can a little microscopic human embryo that becomes a baby, how can it be filled with all the fullness of God? Ask God. He created the universe. He can do it. And he did it with the person of Jesus. Second, this is the main point. Jesus, second main point. Jesus remained God. When Jesus became a man to save us, he didn't stop being God. As some of the church fathers say, he... he became what he was not while remaining what he was. So the incarnation or the infleshing of Jesus, it's addition, not subtraction. Addition. He added a human nature without losing his divine nature. His divine nature didn't change when he became a human. It wasn't altered. That's why Jesus can say later on in John's gospel, John chapter 10, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. And when he says that, all the Jewish religious leaders of the day, they start looking around for stones to smash at him. Why? Because they understood what he was saying. He was making himself equal with God, and they wanted to kill him for it because they thought he was lying. Which, as Christians... We have three options. Jesus was lying, Jesus was crazy, or he really was telling the truth. And Christianity is founded on the premise that Jesus was who he said he was. At some point or other, we have to look at the words of Jesus and make a decision. He claims to be God. If he is equal with God, then we have to obey him as if he were God, because he is God. So we have three options. He's telling the truth, he's crazy, out of his mind, his family thought that, or he's a liar, like the Pharisees. They thought he was a liar, and that's why they ended up killing him. Now, we're going to spend quite a bit of time over the next few weeks unpacking some of the complexities of how Jesus could really be a man and really God at the same time. But we'll leave that for the days ahead. What I want to do now is tackle the third question, or the third point today. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, by fully God, we mean, this is just kind of taking point one and two and just putting them together in one statement. Jesus became a man, Jesus remained God, so Jesus is fully man and fully God. By fully God, we mean he shared the identity of God. He's equal with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. That's why we believe in one God, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yet there's not three gods, there's just one, eternally existing in three persons. And Jesus is the person of the Son, or the Word. And yet, 2,000 years ago, he added a human body to his divine person why to save us that's really amazing okay god really became a man and yet he's not some supercharged human he's not some dumbed down version of god no he didn't become less God in becoming a man, and he didn't become more of a man in becoming human. 
That's the mind-bending reality of the incarnation. We can't wrap our minds totally how a man could be God and God could become a man without making Jesus more of a man or less of a God. Does that make sense? That's, how can he do that? And yet, we believe that the Bible's true. Jesus said it's true, so we believe it. He chose, and we'll look more at this in a couple weeks, he chose on earth not to use those divine powers, those divine attributes that would make him superhuman. He, as a baby, he actually like learned to use the bathroom, okay? He didn't just come out of the, his mother's womb and say, hey mom, you don't need to change me, I got this. No. He was a baby. He chose to become a man and all the limitations that that takes. And yet, how did he know things about the future? How did he know? Because he had the Holy Spirit in him and he relied completely on the Spirit of God. All the fullness of God, the fullness of God's Spirit, (laughs) dwelled in him and in all who believe in him. And that is An amazing reality for those of us who trust in Jesus Christ. So, Jesus became a man, and he remained a man even after the resurrection. And that's what Brian's going to preach about on Christmas Eve. One of the things that Brian's going to preach on is the fact that there is a human right now on the throne of heaven ruling over all the sons of heaven, all the angels. There is a man, a human with with hands and feet like us, ruling the universe. And one day he will bring heaven to earth and new creation will be a reality, complete. And Jesus will rule all the sons of heaven and all the sons of earth. He will be king above all kings. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth in the realm of the dead that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's our hope. Now, let's look briefly at what this means for you and I. What does it mean that God became a man? First, it means that God understands human suffering. Okay, there's thousands of things we could say about this, but first, I've got three. First, God understands human suffering. Jesus got tired, weary. He had close friends die. He raised one of them from the dead, Lazarus, and yet he still watched and wept as the family members grieved death. He hates death. He wants to end it, and he will. His resurrection is only the beginning. Again, like that movie trailer of what's to come. And Jesus, he faced homelessness. He had no earthly home. Jesus had friends that betrayed him. He was hated by his own people. And he eventually died in shame on a cross, naked, penniless, absolutely in agony in his mind and his body. If you've suffered in any way, and I believe that all of you have, Jesus knows how you feel. He knows. He's been there. God 
the God that we worship isn't like the gods of the nations. All the other gods that men have invented over the last thousands and thousands of years, he's not like them. He doesn't just sit up in heaven ruling the world from the comfort of his heavenly kingdom, watching us suffer. No. He came down and suffered as a man and died and bled for us to fix what Adam broke. Jesus is not some absent, he doesn't reveal to us an absent father. No, he reveals God with us. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. So if you've suffered in any way, Jesus knows. And though it is unbelievable, mind-blowing, it's true, the hands that rule the universe right now have scars in them. The side that is at the Father's side has a spear hole in it. Jesus, King of heaven and earth, he knows what it is to hurt. He's seen more evil and more suffering in his 33 years on earth than you and I could ever dream of. And he has seen it all for eternity. And one day, he will put an end to it. The second thing I want to talk about is that God is not repulsed by our humanity. God was not, get this, God was not ashamed or grossed out to pass through a human birth canal. To be placed in a dirty cattle trough. We call it a manger. It's a feeding trough for animals. He wasn't embarrassed to be born to poor parents. He wasn't too good to get his hands dirty working as a carpenter. He wasn't too far above us to eat our food. He drank our drinks. He went to our weddings. He made wine for one of them. Jesus walked the ground of earth. He fished with his disciples in our lakes. He wore our clothes. He spoke human words. And he breathed our air. And in it and through it all, God was not grossed out by being human. Jesus didn't hold his nose when he decided to become a man. He willingly became human and entered into humanity fully. And in becoming human, God showed us it is not a bad or gross thing to be born human. It is a glorious thing to be a human being. A glorious thing. If you are a human being today, and last time I checked, you all are, it is a glorious reality to be human. We were created by God to be kings and queens ruling over his creation. We were made in his image. We were made to reflect his worth. We were not made to be drunk out of our minds, running crazy with no self-control, slaves to various passions and pleasures. We were made for more. We were made for more than this. We were made to know and reflect the worth of God with every ounce of our being. We were made to enjoy him. We were made to take care of this world that he made. And Jesus has come and shown us the goodness of being human. He has shown us that sin, it dehumanizes us. 
It makes us less than what God has created us to be. And yet, Jesus came to show us how to be truly human. To be who God created us to be. And if you, Paul, that's why Paul says, if anything, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. In other means, Jesus has started making us new, who, restoring God's image in us, restoring who God has made us to be. The final thing and the shortest thing that I want us to know, God became a man, and that shows us he loves us. Why would the Son of God come to earth and be born to die on a cross if he didn't care about the world he created? Does God care? You bet he cares. Does God know what I'm going through? You bet he knows. That's why he sent Jesus. Look at the baby in the manger this Christmas season and know that God cares. Think about the cross that he's heading for and know he really cares. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Make the cross of our Lord Jesus the measure of God's love for you. Not how you feel on any given day. Because guess what? Feelings go up and down. But the cross and the love of Jesus displayed there, it never changes. Make the resurrection of Jesus the anchor of your hope. Not an earthly hope. Nothing here on earth is guaranteed. All of us have a 100% expiration date. Unless Jesus returns, we will die. But if you trust Jesus, you have a 100% guarantee of resurrection with him. To know you is eternal life, says Jesus. To know me is eternal life, says Jesus. Nothing is guaranteed on earth except the truth that God is with us and that he is for us, not against us if we trust in Christ. And everything in the new creation that he is making is certain and secure. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that in becoming a man, you showed us your love. I thank you that in becoming a man, you knew and experienced what it was like to suffer like us to walk our sod, our soil, and to experience everything that Adam messed up. And I thank you that you bring to us the hope of resurrection. Lord, please stir our hearts today with love for Jesus. Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus yet, I pray that your Holy Spirit, the breath that brings life to the whole world would bring spiritual life to their hearts that you would open their eyes to see the beauty of the son of god and father i pray that you would direct our eyes the eyes of our hearts to jesus and help us to long to be fully human like he was to image you perfectly one day. And may you, Lord, bless the rest of our time worshiping you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.